today, as we're going on, uh, we're going to be taking a, uh, a break from our series for this morning, and, and I think maybe for next week as well, uh, from the series in John. And, and kind of the reason for that is, uh, as we've been gathering on these Friday nights, um, we've been really kind of seeking the Lord. We're uh, one of the things that really kind of was the impetus for that was, um, you know, a number of, of months ago, two, three months ago, we came here and there was like a big for sale sign like outside this building. Um, and we we're all like, oh, uh, good to know, uh, kind of thing. And so uh, we've been praying and, and seeking the Lord for uh, where he may have us to be as we've been looking for different buildings or options at buying this building or whatever that might be. But as we've been doing that, um, Honestly, we haven't really gotten an answer yet. Um, but he's been giving us different answers. Like, I, what I really, really wanted was, was like for, you know, one of those moments where there's like a, a beacon from heaven that like lights on a certain building and, you know, there's a choir of angels singing and then the bank account, you know, mysteriously gains $5 million. And, you know, that, that would be great. Uh, and so we're, we're praying and we're asking God for, for, for guidance and, you know, maybe one of those moments. And as we're doing that and, and, and as we're coming and saying, you know, God, we'd really like you to, to tell us where the building's going to be. Um, he's like, I'm going to tell you something else instead. And so we've been listening and, and, and paying attention to these things and, and really feeling like um, as we sought him, what he was saying is, I want to tell you who you are as a church first before we find out where we're going. Which then really kind of makes sense, right? Because if we're just kind of looking, how often do we kind of do that in our consumeristic mindset of like, you know, let me, let me buy the pair of shoes that coincides with the kind of identity that I might want to have. Like, let's, let's buy the car that, that helps to establish what my sense of identity is. Let's, let's buy this, do this, have this type of vacation, or whatever it might be. And, and I think the danger is we could do that as a church as well and say, you know, if we want a church with a big steeple that, that screams out like, church! You know, or, or do we want something like cool and chill with like a coffee shop out front and that kind of vibe like we could buy those things but I don't think that's the way the Lord wants us to do that instead to, to show us who we are and part of our conversation this last Friday was that sense of you know if the body of Christ if the church uh, is his gathered people uh, then how does Mercy Hill then fit into that is, is Mercy Hill like the body of Christ um, as an equal to, you know, Bethel Baptist as an equal to any other church in town? Uh, or are we all together like the, the church of Janesville and, and we're one body in this city with Jesus over the head? And then how does that fit into Wisconsin and, and all of these other things? And um, for me, as I've always looked at that and how we relate to other churches, um, I really kind of get it out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, where it kind of comes into um, the, the spiritual gifts within that chapter, uh, but it also talks about how God builds up the church uh, and that somebody, you know, is an eye within the church and somebody's a hand and a foot and, you know, how can the eye look at the foot and, you know, we're, we can't all be feet. Uh, it'd be stinky if it was all feet uh, within the church. 
But it's this illustration of um, each one of us uh, is uniquely different. Each one of us is uniquely gifted. And, and we come together as the church to be the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's one of our core things of Mercy Hills to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So how has God equipped you? God called you. We want to help you find that. And, and like, let's do all of this together uh, as individual parts that come together to be the body of Christ. Um, but I also get the sense that, that that's God's design within a particular city as well. That, that no one church um, should be doing everything, but, but rather the sense of maybe some of us are meant to be eyes, some of us are meant to be feet, some of us are meant to be pinkies. Um, and as we work together to reflect Christ to the community, um, then he's most glorified. Instead of church after church saying, no, like, we're the church and we're doing everything right and, you know, come and see us. And another church is over here saying, well, you know, we do gospel hymns all the time instead of contemporary music. So, you know, come and join us over here. And, and there's this tension that evolves. Um, but again, I think we're all meant to be the body, right? And so in that then... Uh, as a church, as Mercy Hill, what are we then supposed to do and look like? Because I think the other trap that we fall into a lot is, okay, well, a church should do X and Y and Z and A and B and the rest of the 26 letters of the alphabet. Like, like every church feels like it has to have a soup kitchen and a children's ministry and a teen's ministry and adult ministry and a men's ministry and a women's ministry and a coffee ministry and all these things. And we try and do all of that. And, and so what we've been really trying to seek is, is God and what we've been finding is we, Lord, tell us where the building is. Instead, he's saying, no, this is who you are. Uh, and so I kind of compiled the list here this morning uh, of, of the various things that we've been receiving on Friday nights as we're asking God for a building and instead he's saying, well, I'm going to tell you who you are instead. Um, and so one of the first things that we received through this, and again, this was, you know, somebody submitting. This wasn't all me. It wasn't all Christian. It wasn't all three people saying, we've been up to the mountaintop. And we're coming down to tell you all how you all must act. Um, this has been a, a group of us seeking the Lord and, and him speaking to multiple people. Um, and, and the way that it really works is we have a time of worship. We come back and, and we just say, does anybody feel like they've been hearing something from God for the church? Hopefully a building. <laughs> and people say, well, I didn't hear anything about a building, but I, I feel like I heard this. And, and it would be submitted to the rest of the group, and then we would take possibly a couple of weeks to pray about it and seek confirmation. And, and, and it's through that process that these things that I have here uh, have kind of come together uh, and been confirmed by people within the church that we really think this is what God has us to do. Um, and, and again, it's not anything specific. It's not like, go thouest and starteth the soup kitchen. Uh, because that would be too easy. Right? It'd be like, okay, we can we can check that box off. Right? We just need to rent a space and have people bring in food. Done. All right. But God has really been showing us character things for our church. Um, again, the first one we've talked through some of these. Uh, the first one uh, is that our worship will set us apart. 
And, and we have to be careful in that sense, not just to think of, of the way that we sing or, or the music that we have. I, I, I enjoy our worship team. I enjoy the style that they have, their heart in worship. Uh, but worship itself is so much more than, than us, you know, singing with words on a screen. Um, that's an aspect of it of declaring the goodness of God, what he's done for us, acknowledging it and praising him. That's an aspect of worship. But when you look uh, within Scripture, the the whole concept of worship uh, is really a submitted life unto Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the extent to which we feel as a church that we're called that our worship will set us apart and and that our lives are, are submitted to Jesus our King. More than just on the Sunday morning worship experience that we have. The second thing uh, is that we will look to join what God is doing. Uh, Whether or not it's a Mercy Hill label. Meaning like it's not just all about us. That that we just don't want to do things that it's, well, if it's not Mercy Hill, if I can't wear my t-shirt and, you know, point to our church and hopefully get more people to come to our church, then we're not going to do these things. Again, it comes from that concept of if Mercy Hill is just part of the body, then, then we want to support the rest of the body as is God is calling us to do. Uh, and so we want to look for opportunities in what God is doing and join and help to serve those areas as well as God calls us to do instead of just saying, what can we do to build ourselves up, to build up uh, our own church? The third thing uh, is that we're a submitted church. Uh, We kind of had a a whole message on this uh, a number of weeks ago. Uh, The idea of being submitted um, is one that uh, often is is almost like that cringe word. You know, how do we submit to other people? Like, there's a sense of weakness in submission. and, And not only that, like, there's so much potential for abuse, right? If you're submitting to something and... Uh, But yet the Bible throughout Scripture um, calls us uh, to submit, obviously, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ as the head of the church, the chief shepherd. That's an easy one for us all to kind of agree on. Like, Jesus is our head. We submit to him. But throughout Scripture, it also says to submit to one another. To, to submit to the elders, There's to, uh, to submit in this willingness of considering others' needs as greater as your own, to have this mind in Christ is out of Philippians chapter 2. That's how the church is actually knit together, is through choosing to submit to one another and, and in that to go through life worshiping with one another uh, unto God. Because if we don't do that, that, that knitting together never really happens. If we keep everybody at a distance and say, okay, I'll see you on Sunday and we'll have our little compartmented time together. How are you doing? Great. You know, thumbs up and, and then kind of move on for the rest of the week. Now, I'm not saying that you have to submit to every single person in here, that you have like 50, 60 different people that you have to submit to, but, but rather as God knits the body together. Like, like my pinky is not like submitted to my forehead every time that I'm walking around. You know, it's not sitting here stuck like this. But it's connected and knit together to the body. And so we're called to do that with one another as God builds his church. With that, humility and submission are requirements for leadership. 
That's the way that there's accountability in that, that we uh, avoid that sense of uh, um, potential for abuse and lording over. Another one is that we're a church that rests uh, in the work of the Lord. Uh, and so again, that doesn't mean that, that we're lazy, that we just kind of sit back and say, oh, God's got it. Um, but rather, we just look to be faithful in the, the things that he's called us to do. And, and then rest, not worrying about the things that he hasn't called us to do. For instance, the children's ministry and the relaunch of that and, and looking to have some of the younger children help to lead in those different areas within that, we feel like that's something God has called us to do. And so we're looking to be faithful and to doing it to the best of our ability and following after Jesus. As of right now, we don't have any sense of calling for a teen ministry, right? And if we fall into this sense of what a, a typical church identity is, then it's really easy to sit there and say, oh man, we're, we're not really serving the teens within our church. But yet God hasn't called us to it. So can we rest in the fact that it's not now yet and may never be? And then let's minister to our teens via relationship. Instead of like, oh, here's this club that they can go and join. You know, it's like church point eight versus, you know, the Sunday experience or, you know, Wednesday church or whatever it might be. So we rest in the things that God has called us to do and we set aside the things that he hasn't called us to do. Uh, another one of these pillars is that we're a church that lives according to truth. Truth of who God is, uh, his commands for us, uh, but then also in who he made us to be. Uh, which I think is one of the harder things for us to, to truly live out. But we're a church that's in pursuit of this truth and, and choosing to live out of everything that God has done and who he's made us to be. Uh, and then the last one that I have here, and I might be missing a, a few, uh, the last one that I have is uh, we're a church who does not give up on people. Uh, it's modeling after Jesus, you know, who would leave the 99 to, to go after the one. It doesn't mean that there's never going to be conflict. It doesn't mean that there's times where people are going to push us away and, and leave the church. Um, but it also doesn't mean like we're hounding and like knocking on doors and peeking through curtains saying, where are you? Why aren't you coming? Um, but it, it's that tension of always being here. Like I think of that idea of uh, the parable of the prodigal son and the father. Like the father didn't go out and knock down all of the doors trying to find somebody, um, but he also didn't close his own doors and say, you're never welcome again. Uh, and so we don't give up on people and we look to go through life uh, with one another. Now, why do we think these things are important to acknowledge? Because again, it's this sense of we're feeling like God is calling us to live out this at our core. To be deeply connected to one another, to equip one another to do the work of the ministry so that it's not just paid staff. It's not just, I, I've been loving these Friday nights because we've had different people teaching. We've had different people lead worship. We've had a different person lead communion every single time that we've done this so that we can be the body ministering to one another in fulfillment of Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. And as we look through these things, uh, it also helps us to kind of establish, like, you know, what type of building, then, might God be calling us to? For instance, uh, we're not necessarily going to be looking for something that works for a teen ministry, because we don't feel called to teen ministry at this point. 
We trust that God will guide us and lead us if that ever changes. But we do need something for children's ministry. And, and so we start looking for that. We don't feel called at this point to specifically have a coffee shop. So we don't necessarily look for those things until God says, this is what I have you to do. Uh, and so we can start resting in those things. But some things that have been very clear to us uh, is that we need a place uh, to be able to gather. To, to be able to come together, uh, to worship God together. A, a place where we can prepare food uh, and have fellowship. Um, and a place to equip others. Now, you put all those things together, uh, and all we really need um, is a box of a building with enough space, uh, a couple of toilets, and a kitchen. <laughs> right? And we can do all of these things. We can minister to one another. Uh, we'll be able to gather a place to, to equip others. But then the other thing, and, and this is the other reason why I think God hasn't necessarily given us the clarity of direction on a building yet, uh, is because, again, the church isn't the building. It's you. And it's me. The, the church is the ecclesia, the, the gathering of God's people. And, and if we stake our identity on being a church, um, on a building, then we make the focus the building. And we, we make the focus of being church Sunday mornings. And, and yet, what the church is meant to be is so much more than us just gathering here on a Sunday morning. Like we come together and we say hello and we're, we're able to worship and we listen to the word and, and it's uh, this wonderful sense uh, of being able to, to gather. But really when the church uh, is its most powerful and at the work uh, is when we are then seated throughout the community in our homes, with children, in schools, at our jobs, with family. That's when the church is its most potent, is, is to be able to kind of go out and to do the work of the ministry with other people. And then Sunday morning comes around, and it's kind of the gathering again. It's all, almost like this sense that I have, like with, with my family. Uh, my parents live about two hours north. I've got a sister over in Appleton, Oshkosh area, and another sister uh, over in Minneapolis. I don't see them all the time. But there's these moments, the, the family gathering, where we all get together and we have this big meal and we kind of share what's been going on and we encourage one another. And this is what's happening in the time since we've met last and, and all of those things. Honestly, that's what Sunday mornings are supposed to be. We've been out seated throughout the community where we've been about our father's business doing the work of the ministry reflecting jesus to our co-workers and to our families and to uh, the classmates and homeschool communities and whatever else it might be and, and we're just reflecting jesus in that we're being the light that he's called us to be we come back together on sunday morning to see our family to spend some time together it's one of the reasons i'm so excited about having lunch on sundays now sometimes just to be able to hang out. How's your week been going? What God has been doing in your life? What have you seen? What do you need prayer for? What do you need help for? 
Oh, you, you, you've got a tree? I just heard this. Uh, there's a, a group of, of guys out there. I forget what they call themselves. But they, they, they look for people who need trees to be, like, felled at their property. And uh, does anybody know the group that I'm talking about? No. I, I just heard about this. There's, like, this club out there of Christian men. If you need a tree cut down, they, like, set up a, uh, a week or a day, rather, and they just show up with everything that they need, and then other people show up to make lunch for them, and then they sit there and they cut down a tree and kind of make a day of it, kind of like an old barn raising, except now you're, like, tearing down a tree. I Like, that's what I think church community should be like, is it's more than just here, but, but life and caring for each other's needs. You know, if somebody's house needs winterizing, like, what if we just got together and we had food together and helped one another out and each week we did a different house and then all of our houses would be like sat. I don't know. But they, again, it's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about us being that family that lives uh, and goes through life together both in times uh, of mourning and times of rejoicing. And so we're talking about, you know, this identity that God has given to us in the sense and like, okay, we've got this, you know, this building and if we could just have a kitchen and the building and then we could make some food together and then we could have lunch together and, and all of these things. Um, and my wife Angie um, had something that she kind of felt like was from the Lord uh, and it brought, uh, to, uh, she brought with it the passage in Luke 19 uh, and that's where we're going to be going this morning. Uh, but it's the second time I've heard that passage this week. Uh, and so honestly, up to Friday night, I was planning on doing the series in John. Um, and then this passage came up for the second time on Friday. And it, it kind of shift uh, the direction on this. Um, but the kind of the word that she got was, why wait? You know, it's, it's one thing to sit there and say, well, once we have this building... And then we, we have a kitchen, and, and then we're able to, like, make food and have lunch together. Uh, and then somebody else pointed out, uh, there's three kitchens in this building. Right? Like, like, there's a massive one about the size of this floor, like, right underneath us. There's one in that door, and there's another one up there. Uh, and yet, we've barely had lunch here. And, and again, there's no condemnation. There, there's no guilt in that. Whatsoever, but I think it was a, a poignant reminder that sometimes um, in our life we often think of, well, once I have this, then I'll be able to do more. Like once I get the job that I want to have, then I'll be able to, to help tithe more. I'll be able to help out other people more. And so let me focus on my career till I attain this, and then I'll be able to do this. You know, my job's really busy, and so, like, let me just work towards that aspect of retirement. And then once I retire, I'm going to have so much time in able to do X, Y, Z. You know, our house is just, it's just kind of a mess, and there's really not room to have people over, you know. So let's just kind of, like, wait until we can buy a, a nicer house that has a better meeting space before we start inviting people over to our house. Like, like there's so many different things, and I, and I think in an aspect, um, the Lord was pointing out that we do that at times with church. Once we have a, a better building, once we're able to accomplish something, uh, then we can start doing these other things. And, and what she was pointing out um, 
from the Lord was like, well, why do we need to wait? Why do we, why do we need to wait to have uh, a building that we have 24-7 in order to have some other meetings or in order to have lunch together or whatever that is? Let, let's start now living out of the sense of identity that God has given to us I, instead of like wrapping that identity up into a building and then with this building we can start doing those things. What if we just get a warehouse? We can still make the most of the warehouse. Our calling is to live out of this identity that he's given to us and to be faithful uh, in doing that regardless of our circumstances. And so the passage that she had felt led to, to kind of talk about uh, was in Luke chapter 19. Uh, we'll read some of that. Um, and then we're going to take a look at uh, kind of the application for what we're talking about. And then there was one other that I had heard uh, in a sermon uh, earlier this week that really kind of um, struck me uh, a little bit as well. So Luke 19, uh, verse 11. Um, Jesus is talking. He's sharing a parable. Uh, and so he uh, brings about this parable because they're near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minus, and told them, engage in the business uh, until I come back. Uh, and so we'll just pause there at verse 13. And, and here Jesus is telling this parable, but what he's really talking about um, is that he's heading towards the cross. Uh, he's going to die he was resurrected three days later, uh, spends some time with his disciples, but then is going to be carried up into heaven. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 1, uh, until he comes back. And it's been, you know, roughly 2,000 years since that's happened. Uh, not quite. And we're waiting for him to come back. And so we're kind of living within this time. And what he's done is given instructions to his disciples to engage about the business of the Father, uh, to do the work of ministry, to reflect Christ to the world around uh, until he comes back. And so that's kind of the assignment that we're helping to fulfill uh, we're part of that, that chain of people who've been doing this over the last almost 2,000 years. In verse 14, it says, But some of his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. Now, I, I just want to pause there because that sounds so familiar to something else that I've been hearing lately in the political realm. Not my president. Right? On both sides. It doesn't change the fact of who the president is. You just have people sitting there saying, well, he's not my president. I'm not going to follow, blah, 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 blah. In a sense, that's what's happening here. But what people are saying, Jesus isn't my king. Jesus isn't my Lord. I'm not going to follow him. What he told us is what would happen. And so they don't want his rule. They don't want to submit to who he is. Uh, and so many are saying, not our king, but it is, doesn't change the fact that it's true. That he spoke all things into existence, that he's the Lord over all creation, that he's the judge that's going to sit on the throne on the last day of judgment. Uh, and those that did follow him are the ones that will be uh, ushered into everlasting life with him. And those who adamantly said, not my king, are the ones that are separated from him for eternity. Doesn't change the fact that it's true. 
But then going into verse 15, uh, it says, As his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned these servants who had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, uh, your mina has earned me ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him. Because you've been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made me five minas. And so he said to him, you will be over five towns. And, and so kind of just looking at this, uh, there's a, a couple different things. God, Jesus is saying that as he's been gone, he's delegated responsibilities to people on earth as his representatives. 1 Corinthians 12 gets into that. Each one is equipped with gifts for the building up of the church. Each one of us has been given uh, gifts, talents, and abilities. Um, some of those are going to be the form of spiritual gifts. Uh, some of those are with strong backs. Some of those are with intellect. Some of those are with caring and nurturing. Uh, we're all built differently in order to go about the business of our Father. These are in different areas of life, whether in the home or in the business. Um, we're called to be faithful with what God has given to us. But also what was interesting in this is that they weren't worried about the authority or, or the responsibility of the cities that they were going to be given. They just had to focus on, here's the small thing that God has given to us. Let's just be faithful in that. Let's be faithful in right now instead of thinking like, oh, well, once he comes back or once he gives me a city, then I'll be able to do so much more with this little bit that he's given to me. Uh, and so this is what Angie was kind of saying. is like through this passage, it's really showing us that, that whatever God gives to us, we just start out in faithfulness in that. Just take that step and, and use what he's given to us. Uh, use the homes that we have to invite people over in order to be the church. To, to use this sense of identity that God has given to us uh, in order to equip one another, to not give up on one another, to, to have our worship set us apart, all of these things. Let's just start that now uh, instead of hinging it on, well, we'll see what kind of building we get to see how we can do whatever. Let's just be faithful in what God has given to us. The second thing um, out of this passage, and, and this really came from uh, that other message that I was hearing, um, they were pointing out, like, what was the reward for being faithful? More responsibility, right? It, it wasn't like, oh, uh, you took this one mina, and now you've earned five minas from that, uh, and so therefore, here's 10,000 minas. Have your retirement and go have fun. No, it's like, okay, you did a good job with that. Here's 10 cities instead of whatever a minus was worth. It was worth like 100 days wages. Be responsible with that now. And, and I'm listening to this. And I'm like, that's interesting. Like, like here on earth, God's reward for those who are faithful was, was more responsibility, Right? And I'm listening to this pastor as he speaks. And the next thing he says is then, do you realize how much we complain sometimes about the reward that God has given to us? Because we feel so busy. Or we feel so overwhelmed. 
or that there's so much to do, there's so much weight, there's so much responsibility, and it just kind of struck me that, that if we've been faithful in the little things that God has given to us, uh, and then he gives us a greater sense uh, of responsibility, this greater sense uh, of um, being able to do his work, and if we look at that and say, oh, it just feels like it's so much more, it's so much more weighty, we can easily complain about the very rewards that God has given to us. And, and I'm still wrestling through, like, because life feels hard sometimes. And, and it, sometimes it feels like, you know, you, you got the illustration of our plate. And, and, you know, as life happens, more things are kind of added to your, your plates. And it feels like nothing ever leaves the plate, really. But more stuff keeps coming <laughs> to the plate. Um. Now, we need to be careful that we don't add things ourselves that aren't supposed to be there. But if we're faithful, God will add more to us. And we have to be cautious uh, not to be complaining about it, but instead uh, to be looking and um, being faithful with what he gives us to do. Because if we complain or consider us uh, unworthy of the things that he has given to us, uh, or we feel incapable uh, of doing these things, uh, we might find ourselves being like this last servant in this parable uh, in verse 20, where another one came and said, Master, master um, I apologize. I'm not meaning to say master like that at all. But because mina is like two words later, and I'm reading through this, I've realized I've mispronounced master a couple of times. Um, master, here is your mina. I've kept it safe in a cloth uh, because I was afraid uh, since you're a harsh man, you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. Uh, and so the master then says, I condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money into the bank? Why weren't you somewhat productive with this? When I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. And I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. For the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. So bring here these enemies of mine, or the ones who all along have been saying, not my king, not my king. Bring them into my presence, uh, because they didn't want me to rule over them. Um, and then they will be destroyed uh, in my presence. Again, pointing to that aspect of that eternal condemnation for not turning and trusting into Christ. Again, this sense of just being faithful in what God has given to us. Uh, we may not feel like we're capable of doing these things. Uh, and so there's a, a few thoughts here that I wanted to touch on. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, kind of this cliche statement uh, of God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those he calls. Has anybody heard that before? Do you realize that's not in Scripture? Like, like those specific words aren't in Scripture at all? Where he doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those he calls? It, it's really kind of half true. Uh, because as, as we're born and as we grow, like God's already starting to equip us in that sense. Uh, but it is true that he does equip those that he calls. Um, 
That the power of God is, is perfected or completed by using weakness. He calls us to more than we can handle as humans. And the only reason we can accomplish it is because it's then his power working in us and through us as he accomplishes those things, as we just start to be faithful in stepping out to do them. Right? I, I mean, again, think of Gideon and, and that story of like, okay, God, are you sure? Like, I'm hiding down here in this little low place threshing wheat, which is not the place that it works. It's better to do it on the hill. I'm hiding here so that people don't come. The bullies don't come and steal my food. And God's like, yep, you're the one. Goes through those two tests with the fleece and setting them out, and God's still like, yep, you're the one. Okay, well, I'm going to talk to Israel then, and we're going to get this, this army, and okay, we've got 3,000 guys here. Um, and we're going to go tackle this army that's uh, way more than us. But, all right, God, in your strength, we can do that. And God's like, wait a minute. Why don't you guys take a little break? You know, go down by this stream and, and start to drink some water and, you know, just have a snack. And, and then God tells um, Gideon that, okay, watch them as they drink the water. And, and whoever, like, takes the water and lifts it up to their mouth, they're the ones that you keep. Anybody that goes down and like just sticks their face in it, send them home. Uh, and so Gideon watches and he starts sending the people home that are like down on their knees putting their face in the water. And he ends up with 300 people. 300 people in order to go against this army, right? Feels overwhelming. Yet he's not sitting there and quoting himself. Like, can you imagine that moment trying to say this? God's not going to give me more than I can handle. I've got 300 people going up against this army. Oh, God, you want me just to use clay jars and torches to go against this army? After you just cut 2,700 people out from this? And God uses this whole situation in this miraculous way to show that it's him who's powerful, that it's him who's magnificent, that it's him who is the freer of his people. And this is how he'll use us. If we step out in faith, if we're frozen in this place of thinking, well, he's not going to give me more than I can handle and that feels like too much, we'll never start taking those steps into those things that he's called us to. If we sit there and we think about what he could give us in the future that would be so much more useful to accomplish something now, we'll never start taking those steps in the now. And time and time again, it shows us within Scripture that God rewards those that just step out with what they have. And trust him. And, and so we have this uh, amazing opportunity as a church uh, who does not know where we're going to be meeting right now as of January 1st. And I'm here to say it doesn't matter because let's just step out in faithfulness. Let's start being the church. I, we've been being the church. I'm, let me not say let's start doing those things. But those things that we feel like God's put on our hearts, let's just start doing them. 
Let's do them here on Sundays with lunch with one another. Let's do them out in the parks or wherever else it may be. Whatever God has called us to do, let's just start being faithful in those things. If God has given you a, a dream in order to work within something of the church, uh, to be able to bring people together and accomplish something, instead of waiting for all the little ducks to line up in a row and have everything like in this nice little package that makes it easy, I don't see God ever doing that in Scripture. And as a church, we want to come alongside to help equip you for whatever that is or just to come alongside in prayer and say, yep, that seems impossible, but it really seems like what has God has you to do, so let's do it. Um, and I'm excited for those things. Because when we look back on this season, we'll get to see the miraculous ways that God has worked that bring Him glory instead of looking back and saying, well, we really planned that well. Um, I don't want that. So let's pray. Father, we come before you. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your holy word, um, the stories within Scripture that show uh, our great need to rely on you um, and to step out in faith, even when it seems like things will be difficult or near impossible. Father, we find ourselves in those situations uh, as a church at times, as individuals at times, and I pray that you would help us never to be frozen into a sense of complacency or a sense of waiting for the ducks to line up in a row or just to be able to have whatever provision, and then we should be able to do what you've called us to do. Uh, Lord, let us just step out in faith and watch you work in power as we trust you in boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand up as we go into worship here this morning. Actually, um, I just saw the cup here. <laughs> as a reminder, we're going to do communion. Um, and if you haven't grabbed it, please head back and grab it. Um, but there's a reason I wanted to do communion at the end of this message. Um, because again, communion was um, given to us and established uh, as something to proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Uh, and so it's this tangible reminder uh, of being part of the body of Christ, which is what we're called to do. It's a tangible reminder of his provision of grace and mercy for our forgiveness, um, the forgiveness of our sins. But I think also it is a tangible reminder of the mission that we're on until he comes back. And so as we partake of it this morning, I want to partake of it uh, in the sense of reminding us uh, that at the cross he said it is finished, it is completed, that he has won. Through that, we've then been equipped by the Holy Spirit to be on mission until he returns. And so as we take of this, we take of it in gratitude for what he's done. We've done it in proclamation that he is returning. and We do it in acknowledgement of we're supposed to be about our Father's business. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord took bread. When he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us now stand, join our voices together as one as we proclaim the goodness of our Lord. 